Live life at your pace. Click the banner or go to visitwilliamsburg.com to discover how. Because here in Williamsburg, life moves at one pace, yours. Here, our waters are splashing and rejuvenating. Our history is for seeing and experiencing. Our theme parks are for riding and sometimes flying. And our great outdoors are yours for exploring and restoring. It's all waiting for you in Williamsburg. Book your trip today and live life at your pace. Hello, America. It's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater. And this is your wake-up call. If you don't have Consumer Cellular yet, now is the perfect time to switch and save. For a limited time, new customers can get wireless service for as low as $15 a month for your first year. Yep, the same exact nationwide coverage as the leading carriers for $15 a month for an entire year. What are you waiting for? Call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com and use code RADIO15. See ConsumerCellular.com slash FIRSTYEAR15 for promotional details. Welcome to Pod Save America. I'm John Favreau. I'm John Lovett. I'm Tommy Vitor. <laughs> we haven't been together for a pod in a while. That's guys. true. That's Love true. it. You feeling better? I feel great. Did you get it from Biden officially now that we're I told it? I told an audience you did. Yeah. Actually, I think I gave it to Manchin. Manchin gave it to Biden. Uh, oh, that makes sense. sense. That one makes of the, sense. Uh, what about Schumer? Schumer had it too. Yeah, I think one of the, uh, one of the, one of the symptoms of uh, COVID is uh, making deals. <laughs> you know? It's not. That's, that's, boo. <laughs> Leave that one in there. Yep, leave it in. It's fine. I don't care. <laughs> On today's show, the fate of the mansion miracle lies in the hands of Kirsten Cinema. Democrats' prospects of holding the Senate may be brightening with just 100 days to go. And later, Wisconsin Senator Tammy Baldwin talks to Lovett about protecting same-sex marriage and democracy. But first, uh, episode two of Another Russia is now out. Uh, this week, Jana and Ben dive into Boris Nemstov's political journey as he becomes deputy prime minister of Russia and discovers whether his idealism can trump money, power, and corruption. Listen to new episodes of Another Russia each Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. It's such a good show. I was listening to the, the first episode a couple days ago, and uh, Jana is talking about how her, her parents, when she was a kid, would, when they went out, to dinner or whatever would just leave her home alone and then tell her there were wolves on the grounds so that she would stay in her bed so i'm, know, gonna, I'm gonna try that quite a cultural gulf <laughs> uh between you know us and some of our russian friends but a fascinating story we could do it with coyotes yeah well, you, have, you love it has coyotes there's coyotes own. everywhere on the on the east side and that's fine um to brood i think just a pack, pack. anyway enough about your problems another russia <laughs> sure great show. podcast download it subscribe <laughs> before we start uh it's your last chance to see us live and on tour this summer. Uh, for these last two shows, we have some, we saved, we saved uh, some incredible guests for the end. We got uh, Stacey Abrams in Atlanta on August 13th, uh, and Tennessee congressional candidate Odessa Kelly in Nashville on August 12th. Got some other uh, guests coming up too that we're going to announce. Big announcements. Uh, we will also be joined by Josie Duffy Rice, who you know and love from our What A Day podcast at Crooked. Uh, she's going to be a co-host for both of our shows. Tickets are on sale now and selling out fast, so go get yours at crooked.com slash events. Come say hi. All right, let's get to the news. This is the week we find out whether the mansion miracle is real or whether Kirsten Cinema yanks away the football mm. one last time. I don't want that. Uh, our boy from West Virginia, who we have always told you 
would come through in the end. How many times have we said that on this program? Hundreds of times. Hundreds of times we always said that. Uh, he was out on the Sunday shows this weekend trying to sell what they're now calling the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022. I like it. I mean. Simple. Simple. Easy to remember. We we'll never have to say the other the other phrase nope, again. I don't want to say gonna it. Pretend, I'm not Nope. Nope. Nothing exists. Uh, this was Joe Manchin's message to his good friend from Arizona this weekend. I think that basically when she looks at the bill and sees the whole spectrum of what we're doing and all of the energy we're bringing and all of the reduction of prices and fighting inflation by bringing prices down by having more energy, hopefully she will be positive about it. But, you know, she'll make her decision. And I respect that. Yeah. Hopefully she'll be positive about it. There's an understatement. <laughs> uh, so I know Tommy went over the deal's headlines on Thursday's pod with Adisu, who's fantastic. Got to get Adisu back on the pod. Anytime. Great, great He's guest co-host. But there's been a lot more reporting about the details over the weekend. Love it. What's your... What's your general reaction to the deal? We haven't gotten a lot. Let's get a take here on Pod Save America from you. Thank you for the opportunity. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I know you had had your variety show where you talked about this. Yeah. Here's the the thing. So first of all, you know, they always say, oh, well, we got to dig into the details. Mm -hmm. Devil's in the details. And you expect you're going to find like coal museums on the National Mall, mm-hmm. houseboat subsidies. <laughs> it's really good. A the, coal museum uh, would be a fine trade. I would take on the that National Mall? Oh, we already sure. Have that, we already have that, have the size. We have Spielberg's hideous World War II memorial. We obviously support the veterans, but oh it's still God. ugly. It shouldn't oh be in the middle God. of the mall. I do not they didn't do a good job designing it. It's a good cause, but it's an ugly myself. memorial. I officially quit the show. Leave all that Obviously, be fine with it, but I thought I thought that's what would would it would be. Yeah, no, I know. But it's actually really good. Uh, you talked about it with Heather that mm-hmm. it meets four fifths of the goals of Build Back Better. One one climate of I there was one uh, climate expert and professor who just uh, shouted on social media, "This is real." Uh, in <laughs> in relief, estimates by policy experts say this could get you anywhere from thirty one to forty four percent of the reduction of climate pollution relative to two thousand five. That's a big leap from where we are now, and by twenty thirty too. By 2030, uh, that's a big uh, leap from where we are now. And the Biden administration goal, the re- the goal is 50 to 52 percent. So it it puts that in the realm of the possible. We'd have to do a lot more to get there. But getting to 44 percent on our way to 50 percent is a pretty amazing step forward. Yeah. And the Biden goal of 50 percent, by the way, was a goal that he arrived at after really being pushed in the primary by both other candidates and climate activists. So that in itself was a was a was a pretty laudable goal. It's a huge reduction. Like this it's would a be a very reduction. very big deal. Um, and you know the tax credits in the deal are more like direct payments. You get the money guaranteed for ten years if you build a plant that generates carbon free electricity. Up until now, it's been like a year, two year. The tax credits last, which is harder for businesses to make decisions around. Tax credits for electric vehicles up to seventy five hundred dollars, though they're means tested. So you, if you're super rich, you can't get it. Uh, rebates for people who buy energy efficient appliances or make their homes energy efficient. Yeah, it's the it's the biggest climate investment in history. Four times bigger than the climate investment from the Recovery Act uh, in 2009. And that was the previous leader of the biggest climate investment in history. And one other piece of this, too, is we're obviously focused on climate change. This is a bill that's focused on reductions aimed at curbing climate pollution. But the knock-on effects of that on the kind of harmful pollution that causes asthma, that causes premature deaths, that causes a lot of illness, that just causes our communities, especially uh, uh, poor communities, to just be worse places to live in, Like this will make a huge difference. There's one line. It's a it's a small piece of this. It's $1 billion for clean, heavy-duty vehicles like buses and garbage trucks. And that's that's not 
that's just one line. It's not a big piece of this, but just making those changes to put clean vehicles on the road would reduce a ton of pollution that just harms a lot of kids every single day. It will just make places, make communities safer and better places to live. Should we talk about the shitty parts? Yeah, sure. Tommy, sure. do you want to do the shitty parts? I mean, they're shitty, but they're shitty in the short term. Short term shitty? Okay. That work? Okay. Um, so it'll require, well, it could be long term shitty too. I don't so know what that meant. It will require the U.S. government to open new locations for oil and gas leasing in Alaska and the Gulf of Mexico. And it will forbid the government from selling leases to install solar or wind on federal lands or seafloors when it isn't also open oil and gas. And then at some point in the near future, we, it hasn't been written yet, literally, there's going to be a bill about permitting reform that will probably make it easier to create fossil fuel projects, but it could also make it easier to create wind farms and renewable projects. So there is some bad to take with the good, but I think on balance, almost every expert I've read thinks this is a, a wildly important bill. And one thing just to add, because that was my question too, about sort of what is the impact of these leases, these estimates that the reduction that could be as high as 44%, those incorporate the effect of expanded oil and gas leasing. They are trying to include the effects of those kind of all of the above sure. <laughs> provisions in making those estimates. Yeah. So some calculations on that. The National Resources Defense Council ran the numbers. And they said that the emissions cuts would be 10 times greater than the effects from the support the deal extends to fossil fuels. So another way to think about it is for every one ton of carbon emissions that the deal puts out, uh, it takes away 24 tons. It's a good deal. It's a pretty good deal. Uh, and also, you know, it's a good deal because the coal industry says that it will hurt the coal industry. Mm -hmm. uh, the head of a trade group there said that the West, West Virginia would actually be one of the states with the largest number of coal retirements due to the wind and solar tax credits. They're upset about that, but that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, and like the, this permitting reform, like it, it's a big question, like how will they come together to make this work? But it's also true that you see a lot of NIMBY types who won't let solar farms or you know wind farms go up on their property or in their area. And we need to make it easier to create those projects or else we're going to get stuck in bureaucratic morass and never do anything. Tommy, what else do we know about uh, about how this thing came together? I mean, the, there's a couple couple big pieces about that over the weekend. Yeah, and look, victory has a thousand fathers, but um, defeat is an orphan, right? So you're a lot of people are taking credit here, uh, and, and mothers, sure, and you know, just parents. Yeah. Okay. You know, non-binary people create political victories too, Tommy. Okay, that's all. That is factually right. So the White House is out there talking about how Brian Deese, who runs the National Economic Council you know, made a trip to West Virginia, was keeping an open line to Manchin. Every senator or member uh, or congressman who's talked to Joe Manchin in the last six months is is dishing on whatever they did. You know, some I forget who it was. Someone was talking about how they were printing out climate change news for him and passing it. I think it was one of the, um, both of the Delaware bros are taking credit for this, Coons and, uh, uh, yeah. Coons and Carper. There's like, here's a flood. Both of, both of Dan's potential opponents. Um, you know, we're hearing about CEO, <laughs> yeah. we're hearing about CEOs like Bill Gates calling him and talking about jobs that could be created in West Virginia. Our friend Larry Summers, liberal lion, liberal hero, mm -hmm. liberal icon. Yep. Uh, Larry Summers called to talk about how the bill would not uh, lead to more inflation. I think one of Larry's points is there's all, there's a provision in there that would give the IRS more resources to do its job and get taxes from people who owe them. And Larry thinks that the Congressional Budget Office and the way they've scored the impact of that additional spending is is wildly uh, under the estimate that he thinks it'll, the impact he thinks it'll have. He thinks it'll recoup lots more money. Oh, than he thinks the it'll CB be better. Then. Yeah, yeah, he thinks it's better than uh, the CEO says. That's so good. That's a nerdy point. Ultimately, I do think we have to take Manchin at his word that he was worried about inflation. He was worried about the deficit and that this current bill is just vastly different than the $3 trillion Build Back Better bill that was basically the entire Biden agenda stuffed into one package. I also think 
Manchin was genuinely worried about energy security and he didn't want to just phase out fossil fuels immediately. Um, a cynic can say that's because he's a fossil fuel state resident. He has, you know, fossil fuel donors because he makes money off of coal himself. But I think there's also like a fair conversation to be had about whether if we're going to need oil and gas in the short term, do you want to get it in the US or do you want Joe Biden jumping on a plane to Saudi Arabia to lavish attention on Mohammed bin Salman to try to get them to release more oil? Like, obviously, I'd rather we have all wind and renewables today, but, you know, I don't have a vote. It's also, it's, it is funny too that like, this is now, I mean, when, when I talked to Jen Saki on the pod in January, it was, it was at a period of time when it seemed like this might all be kind of lost. And we were joking at the time saying, well, why don't we just let Joe Manchin go off and write the fucking bill? And then he did. And it's the obvious it, answer the whole time, right? But what's interesting about it is, and it's this sort of irony that then, okay, this West Virginia coal senator gets to take credit for the biggest investment in clean energy and climate change policy in American history, when really what he has done is just made his yes vote the hardest vote to get, or the second hardest vote to get so far. Yeah. And he gets to frame it how he wants to frame it. That's right. Which is right. an inflation thing. But even at the end, even as he was writing it himself... Or, or working with Schumer to write it himself, it almost fell apart because of, of the inflation numbers. And then I do think Manchin felt a little... It, it does seem like Manchin wants to be seen as a reasonable yes. person, right? Not necessarily by uh, us <laughs> no. or people like us. He hates us. Especially not us. But certainly by sort of like the, the broader institutional set in Washington, D.C. And, and I, I think it felt like he... He might have worried that he was seeming unreasonable towards the end. And look, I, I think it seems like what happened here was that Joe Manchin was a persuadable voter and uh, who genuinely, like you said, genuinely wanted to do something about climate change, wanted a solution that would help his state and his own politics and was genuinely worried about inflation. Mm-hmm. You can disagree with him. I do. We do on a whole bunch of issues. The guy is a, just a conservative Democrat who has conservative positions on a bunch of issues that I don't agree with at all. I think where I know I made the mistake is like, I think assuming that someone is operating in bad faith, which I, by the end did, I didn't start there, but by the end, I was definitely, I I was convinced he was operating in bad faith. You started by calling him dumb. <laughs> well, I think he, I think I think hey, there's, hey, some, there's hey, some details hey, that he, John. Uh, hey, hey, half, glass hey, half full. Psh, we don't say those kinds of things about our friend John. I anymore. did. I started by calling I, my whole my the whole time. I was like, is he just dumb or is he is this a bad faith play? And then by the end, I was like, oh, it's bad faith. But the mistake there, Joe Biden always says this: you should never uh, assume people's motivations. Is because if you assume people's motivations, then you give up in trying to persuade them. And maybe they are operating out of bad faith, but what if they're not and you just gave up on trying to persuade them? Clearly, a whole bunch of senators that work with Joe Manchin, uh, climate activists, business leaders, um, a bunch of other people that he trusted, Larry Summers, economists, all worked together to get him in the right place. And he was clearly persuaded over time. And, and that is, I think, a good lesson in politics in general. And I also think one one piece of this is we, we, we sort of, you know, lamented that his statements had been confusing and sometimes contradictory. And, and it turns out one of the reasons that at times it seemed open to a bill and at times would close the door is because he got pissed. It wasn't that he was operating in bad faith. He admits it himself. I got angry. Do I think he should have gotten angry about that statement? No, no he should he not. Have. It was absurd. <laughs> he also played his politics really well. His approval went from forty to fifty-seven percent approval in his state. 
He played this brilliantly for himself. Yeah. Though if he really wanted to, I'm mean, like, I, I do think that politically for him, if he did no deal at all, he would still be in a great political position, you know, which is why the politics yeah, are definitely in his, worried me. the politics are definitely in his favor here. But as you just heard the head of the, that uh, coal mine industry group say, like a bunch of West Virginia coal mines are going to get retired because of this bill. If Joe Manchin really wanted to just play his politics at all, he would have done no deal. And he didn't do that because there's some there's multiple motivations at play here. And I do think like, you know, you could play the counterfactual. What if Senate Democrats had said, fuck Joe Manchin, uh, let's take away his committee assignments. Right. Who cares if he leaves the party? We would have no chance of a climate deal right now. I'm not going to say climate deal because we don't have it yet, but we would have no chance of a climate deal. right I, now. I mean, I also think Manchin's smart enough to know that that coal power plants are going out of business because the economics are no longer working for them. That is correct. You know, natural gas, there's other cheaper forms of energy. I do think the lesson, the meta lesson for me is it's always better to be in the majority and have power no matter what, right? We have a lot of people got so frustrated with Manchin and they said, let's kick him out of the party. We don't need him. That is dumb. That is dumb. Be in power. Then you can do things. You get judges passed. You can pass this bill out of nowhere, pass the CHIPS Act, pass the, um, the the roads legislation, the infrastructure bill, like we've got a lot of things done now yeah. in hindsight. Well, it's just like, look at your choices, right? Do I wish that Joe Manchin was replaced by a more liberal senator from West Virginia? Of course. Is that possible right now? No, it's not. So you work with what you have. Um, love it. We haven't heard from from Kirsten Cinema. Uh, let's talk about uh, future sure. problems as of this recording. But what do we know about where she is on these provisions and how much trouble she might cause here? That those are two different questions. Mm. Uh, you know, Manchin, you played part of the clip, but what also he has been saying on the Sunday shows, is he's basically trying uh, to put her in a position to declare victory. Uh, he said, Kirsten Sinema is a friend of mine. We worked very closely together. She had tremendous, tremendous input in this legislation. She basically insisted on no tax increases. We've done that. She was very, very adamant about that. I agree with her. She was very instrumental on prescription drugs. So I, I think he's trying to give her the space to say, uh, yeah, I'm out here taking the credit, but this is this can be your victory too. Uh, and the only I think she's not said anything. We've been like sort of as we've been getting towards this recording, just waiting to see if we hear more from her. But I, I think the hope has to be, and we don't know. I think the hope has to be that she knows she's in a position to get something, and that it's not something that kind of undoes anything that's part of this deal, but some additional funding for uh, uh, solar or other kinds of technology for Arizona, some kind of victory for cinema that she can, you know, get her pound of flesh and, you know, then go celebrate at Hot Topic or whatever. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, the the thing we think she's going to be mad about is the $14 billion in tax increases by closing the carried interest loophole, which basically makes hedge fund guys pay their fair share of taxes. Well, it's the that's question, a tough fight to pick for her. The question yeah, is whether she calls per- that an increase, right? That it's not an increase. It's a closed loophole, right? She, it, has she Here's been really deal. upset about rates? When you, when you work at like a private equity fund or a hedge fund, you get paid by a management fee, which is usually 2% of, of assets under management. And then something called cared interest, which is usually 20%. They treat that 20%, which is the primary way they make money as a long-term capital gain and not as income, which is what it really is. And so they pay about half of the tax rate that anyone else pays on their income taxes, which is outrageous. Even like the super rich, the richest of rich Bill Ackman hedge fund 
guy is out there saying this is a crazy loophole this should be closed like i don't know how she carries water trump, I don't said, even it. Think trump, that, what, trump said he was going to close this loophole. i don't even think this provision closes it completely either it like comes halfway too which is maybe gives her space for to declare victory too it's also by the way like you said tommy it's 14 billion dollars out of 389 billion dollars in the deal it's three percent of the deal right right it's not um now she said she's going to wait for the parliamentarian to score this right the senate parliamentarian for everyone who remembers talking about this last year, has to go through and make sure that every provision affects the budget and that there's not provisions in there that don't affect the federal budget. Um, so the parliamentarian will score the bill, say how much it actually raises, how much it you know uh, will affect the deficit, how much taxes, all that kind of stuff. Uh, there's also like, you know, the, I think that cinema, cinema basically has agreed to all of these energy provisions in the past. She helped write the prescription drug mm -hmm. reform part of this, the ACA subsidies she's on board. So it can only be in the taxes. The other big tax part of this bill that we haven't talked about is the uh, corporate minimum tax, which is another crazy thing. Like right now, there are some mega corporations that basically move their profits overseas so they can avoid paying taxes at all or certainly less than the 21% corporate rate. And this is basically saying, hey, there has to be a minimum 15% tax for all for all corporations that have over $1 billion in profits. So and by the way, not, and, even no there, and even there, there's still exceptions because they get to take advantage of tax credits. Totally. So the, the question I think is, can Cinema claim she has successfully prevented the tax increases she claimed she was against because these aren't rate hikes. These are kind of loophole closing policy shifts that that she could that she could get behind like is there is can she can yeah. she and re, and republic can she not be saying can this not be her making any kind of concessions can she claim that and republicans are already out because you know the joint committee on taxation scored this and said oh there are some people who are under who make under four hundred thousand dollars that will feel the impact of this right their taxes won't go up but what will happen what does is that even mean they're they're saying they're calculating that if a some corporation who's paying no taxes now has to pay a minimum tax rate that they will then have lower wages they will they will, they will cut wages for their workers ultimately so let's just cut the the corporate income tax to zero <laughs> right it's a, it's a ridiculous dumb, analysis dumb well, the same, and it doesn't take just... into effect the health care subsidies in the bill the energy uh subsidies that will help lower people's energy bills the prescription drug stuff it doesn't take count any of that which Blow is ridiculous right well, they also want to they also narrow you know they're not running around saying abolish the irs they don't want anyone right. they, they anyone wealthier or to pay taxes at all that is at the core of the republican opposition to this bill they hate when rich people have to pay taxes they hate it can we just um marinate on one fun thing about this whole mansion of it all and then him going out on all these sunday shows do you notice how politico oh. and politico playbook their, their flagship news product focused not on what he said but the logistics of doing five Sunday show interviews all at one time on one day. The full Ginsburg, as it used to be known in the Remotely. 90s. In the early Remotely. 90s. That's what, this was the debate. I love that. They we this, can't. We can't they this, over the they debate. this dumb, lame debate about like whether there was technically a full Ginsburg. And then just Dan quoted being like, I would say, don't do it. It's not worth it. <laughs> just like they did, they, raining on their parade. They did this for two days. Two days. It was so dumb and boring. I come back from vacation. I'm reading Playbook. I'm like, what? what is going on? Two days of, of a discussion about the full Ginsburg? You know what? Joke's on me fucking for early it. 90s? No one, remember, no one knows what we're talking about right now. All right. Alan Repu Ginsburg, right? Repu <laughs> Late Ginsburg, late, late <laughs> Just 90s. kidding. Back to the Republicans in Congress. They are outraged about the deal, um, but they're not just planning on voting against it. They want to take revenge on Democrats by voting against other legislation that they previously supported. Uh, most House Republicans just voted against a bipartisan bill that will help the U.S. compete with China for jobs related to the semiconductor industry. Susan Collins told reporters that Senate Republicans might sink the same-sex marriage bill 
over the Manchin deal and 25 Republican senators who had previously voted for a bill that would help veterans who've been exposed to burn pits just voted to block the final version of that bill last week. Tommy, what's going on with the burn pits legislation, which has gotten a lot of attention over the last several days? And why do you think Republicans are doing this? Is there a political reason or are they just morons? So here's the background. The the U.S. military on bases abroad in Iraq and Afghanistan would burn trash, basically. That that included toxic substances like plastic, rubber, paint, other things that you don't even want to know about. Um, There's a lot of evidence now in research that shows that people who are exposed to the smoke from those burn pits have much higher incidence of cancer and other really nasty medical problems. And paying for that treatment has created a bureaucratic nightmare for a lot of these veterans. So it had to be solved. It was just grossly unfair. And so Congress finally got attacked together. They put together a bill that would provide millions of veterans with expedited health care and disability payments for these illnesses related to burn pits. In June, that bill passed 84 to 14. Then it went to the House. They did some technical fix to it, sent it back to the Senate for final passage. And last week, it was 25 or 26, I'm not sure what the exact total was, of Republicans changed their vote and voted against the bill. Pat Toomey, the Republican senator from Pennsylvania, who I don't think coincidentally is retiring, uh, is the one out leading the messaging charge on this. He's trying to claim that he opposed it now because of some budgetary loophole. There are these impenetrable videos from Ted Cruz where he's trying to talk about mandatory versus discretionary spending. I'm not an expert in this, but none of their arguments make sense. Every single veterans group um, is calling bullshit on it. It seems like what happened was McConnell was going to hold up the chips bill, this China competition bill, because he didn't want Democrats to do anything via reconciliation, which is how you pass the Manchin-Schumer bill. Then he allowed the chips bill to pass. Then Manchin and Schumer announced their deal on the climate bill, and they got mad. And so McConnell, I guess, had these guys vote against this burn pit legislation. It is, long story short, this is one of the most substantively outrageous and politically stupid things I've ever seen. It sounds like they might fix it tonight, Monday night. Um, but I, I just, for the life of me, I can't understand what they're thinking here. Truly. Uh, love it. Can you? <laughs> no, I think that they decided to uh, take a dumb vote in a fit of peak and tried to come up with a fig leaf justification for it that doesn't really work. And ultimately, it's very, very bad politics. But bec- but it's truly some of the worst politics that we've ever seen uh, you have just it absolutely these people are dying despicable despicable people are dying move. within weeks of this vote and so i you do think it, they will they will be for they will be for it very quickly and this will ultimately kind of disappear as a kind of week-long vile gambit but that's Pat, it Pat, i don't know Pat, it's on us to make it not disappear but i mean yeah. veterans literally sleeping on the capitol steps as we speak right now will not leave until they get a vote so Pat Toomey's problem about the $400 billion is whether you put it in the mandatory or discretionary bucket. What that means is, uh, do we make sure that there's this source of funding to help veterans who've been exposed to burn pits every year? Or do every year veterans have to come to Congress and sleep on the steps and hold hearings so they can get it into a budget every year, right? Now, the only thing you can say about Pat Toomey is he's at least had that problem since the beginning. This is why it's 25 or 26. So Pat Toomey had voted against it before because of this problem, because that's his problem. It's a bullshit problem, but that's a problem. The other 25 Republican senators voted fucking for it when the $400 billion was in mandatory spending and then just changed their vote because of exactly what Tommy said, because they were just pissed. This idea of mandatory versus discretionary spending, it's, it's a dollar spend is a dollar spent. 
This course. is a made-up distinction. They literally decide whether this distinction exists or not. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Well, no, no, it does. It helps. No, you want it. You, you want it to get. I want it to, want be it to be mandatory. I want it to be funded in the future. Right. But I'm just saying, like, it's not like more money is going to magically be. He's just full of shit. Is my point. He is totally full of shit. But he's not as. as, as but the even more full of shit are the other 25 Republican senators who voted for it when it was mandatory spending. It's and also of all the places where like, how could we possibly uh, vote to have mandatory spending for veterans year after year without the ability to cut it to, you know, uh, fund a tax break? I mean, this is all the, just the, the technical reason so that you all know. But to Tommy's point, we have to actually like make the argument here. And the argument ahead of a midterm could not be easier here. Like, you know, Democrats... Uh, tried to pass a bill that makes sure that corporations can't move their profits overseas so that they don't pay any taxes at all uh, in order to lower people's energy bills and their health care bills. And Republicans didn't just block it. They then, to spite Democrats, voted against a bill to help sick veterans. <laughs> like, it's crazy. The I other mean, really hard vote was, you know, on the House side, uh, McCarthy whipped like 175 Republicans and forced them to vote against the big China competition bill, which, look, their legitimate policy criticisms of that bill the reason you could vote against it but politically that's a very hard vote i also i i, I actually don't understand that decision either because it was it. very clear that it was going to pass either yeah. way they had all been for it before they got uh before um look everyone's been surprised that uh democrats have discovered strategy all right it's been shocking sure. it's changed a lot of it's been hard to kind of process uh for for republicans as much as for us but okay you're pissed that they 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 got one over on you and they're going to do this reconciliation deal you're going to make a point by having some but not all of your members try to stop a bill that's going to pass anyway? I don't I mean, get look, it. I think their strategy going back as far as the early Obama days is, you know, the, the party in power, Democrats are in power, Democrats are in the White House, they're in Congress. We're going to break everything. We're going to make sure nothing works. We're going to try to stop them. at You know, they can't pass anything, blah, blah, blah. And that's going to redound to our political benefit because Joe Biden and the Democrats don't succeed. But I think they uh, I think they went a little too far this end because everyone knows now what they did. <laughs> there was an open question about whether progressives might vote against the CHIPS Act because they felt like it was corporate welfare for, you know, understandably so, like multi-hundred billion dollar businesses getting huge tax breaks to create semiconductor manufacturing back home. I think it's good long-term policy to uh, onshore this kind of manufacturing because it only exists in parts of Asia. Like, 22% of it is in Taiwan. And if Taiwan gets invaded, like we're in big trouble. But um, yeah, I Democrats decided to get in line and say, nope, we're going to vote for this thing. They voted against protecting American jobs and helping sick veterans. That's it. There's a, there, there you go. That's all you have to know. I think it's not good. I think it's not good for them. It's also like the, the burn it all down thing doesn't work if you don't have the house and things are getting passed out of the senate i was just gonna say just doesn't yeah. they work. didn't succeed they tried to break things they didn't succeed yeah. so it, it got passed and they don't get the political benefit from it because now they voted against protecting american jobs and helping sick veterans and, <laughs> and they'll well they'll you know they'll they'll still go around taking you know they still take credit for the for the uh, totally. uh, uh the relief bill they didn't vote for they'll take credit for wherever they can the infrastructure bill yeah, yeah they go home to their projects they take pictures but uh it's been a thing. it's been a Tough week for show show no votes in the Republican House. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. A lot of us spend our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. You know, you know, you know. Have you been able to squeeze that special thing into your schedule, John? Yeah, that's. I think it's thanks to therapy. Therapy can help you find what matters to you, so you can do more of it, Mm -hmm. more time for you. I uh, 
you know, because we've been doing what a weekday, mm-hmm. I actually put that in my therapy spot. You know, I, I replaced therapy with doing an extra podcast. Mm. It was a huge mistake. So uh, what do you spend time doing at therapy now? Well, now I brought therapy back. I added okay, therapy good, back good. to another time because uh, it turns out talking- that's going to make the jokes better. <laughs> well, it's really going to make things better for the team. <laughs> <laughs> if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Learn to make time for what makes you happy with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash PSA today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash PSA. With just less than 100 days left until the election, uh, there's a decent amount of evidence that the political environment might, might, (laughs) might be shifting in the Democrats' favor. Uh, Our friends over at 538.com still say Republicans are favored to win the House, though they're now basically tied with Democrats on the generic ballot after being two to three points ahead for the last several months. Uh, But in the race to control the Senate, Democrats are now slightly favored to win. 538 has their chances at 56%, which is up from just 40% on June 1st. All right, with the obvious and important caveat that polls are just a snapshot in time, and not always the most accurate snapshot. Um, the movement here is notable. Tommy, what do you think might be going on with these Senate races? I mean, I think it's, you know, you could sort of go race by race and, and tell the story. I mean, Pennsylvania, there was a poll that had Fetterman up 10 points on Dr. Oz, which I don't believe that's too much, but it, it was jaw-dropping. I think, again, like we've talked about, Fetterman's done such a good job of defining Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. Republicans are really worried about Oz's standing. We'll talk about that more later. Uh, in Georgia, Warnock's running a strong race. He's he continues to do well. Herschel Walker continues to be a gaff machine. He won't debate Warnock. There's a bunch of coverage of you know children out of wedlock and criticizing others for doing the same, lying about working for the FBI. Um, Arizona, we might see Blake Masters win. This Peter Thiel stooge who is a, a bona fide wacko. Uh, he's got to run against Mark Kelly, an astronaut who's very popular. Um, Cortez Massa is looking better in Nevada. Maggie Hassan's looking better in New Hampshire. There's grumblings about J.D. Vance struggling in Ohio. Still probably a tough state, but there's just a lot of individual races are breaking in a better direction. So it just, I think, feels better out there. Love it. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I think like stepping back from individual races, Rose overturned. Uh, and Democrats are putting Republicans on the defensive on marriage equality. The January 6th hearings are a kind of low hum of Republicans being extreme. Gas prices are down a bit. You have a bipartisan gun bill. You have a manufacturing belt. We have this mansion deal. It's not in the polling yet. Hopefully it happens. Uh, and news coverage just isn't where it was a few weeks ago. It's still not good and it's never good. But uh, there was a period of time and it was just sort of President Joseph's stock plunge gridlock COVID's stock plunge Robinette Biden, you know? <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> Joseph stock plunge, gridlock, COVID stock plunge, gas prices, Robinette Biden. I forgot gas prices. <laughs> gas prices falling all the time now. You can't yeah. forget gas prices. So, uh, and Dr. Oz sucks. And that's uh-huh. just sort of, they yeah. just that took that well, one off the table a bit. That Hopefully. Point, I think to that point, like Tommy going through the Senate races, there's a difference. The difference between the Senate and the House is, as a House candidate, it's really hard to separate yourself from the national political party and the national political environment because these are smaller races and you don't have as much money in them. Senate races are statewide races. There's a lot of money spent on making sure that every voter knows who these Senate candidates are. And that can be a good thing if you're a good candidate and it can be a bad thing if you're a bad candidate. Mm -hmm. So candidate quality matters a lot more in Senate races than it does in some of these House races, which is why you can sort of distinguish yourself as John Fetterman has, as Dr. Oz has in a way that's not helpful to his. Or or has, has, you know, Herschel Walker uh, saying, uh, 
how can you accuse me of something I might have done when I was uh, dissociating? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's not like the best message I've ever heard. Message. Also, was I in the FBI? Uh, who knows? Time will tell. Vote to find out. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to deny a thing when you just said it. Yeah, and I think the, I was in the FBI. I didn't say that. And love it. You mentioned this, but the I think the issue environment changing matters too. Yeah. There was a, a, a recent Suffolk poll where vo voters cited abortion as the second most important issue to them. Of course, after inflation, which is still a, a big issue, though as you noted, gas prices are have started to fall. And you know, in that same poll, like so few voters mentioned COVID that it wasn't even in the top 25 issues uh, that people said they were concerned about. That had obviously been a drag on Joe Biden's uh, and Democrats' approval rating and just sort of the general mood of the country at that point. Mm -hmm. So the Republicans are a little nervous about this. I would be too. Uh, especially about Pennsylvania. Politico ran a story this weekend that has multiple donors. It's always trouble when you have donors uh, talking to donors reporters. Talk. Yeah, yeah. Love when it's Republican donors, so not good. when it's Democratic donors. Shut up, Democratic donors. Uh, so the, the story has multiple <laughs> donors saying that the National Republican Senatorial Committee is, quote, sounding the alarm about Dr. Oz and, quote, freaking everybody out about his bad polling. Um, why do you think he's doing so poorly, Tommy? And uh, is there anything Democrats can learn from this race or is this a unique situation? What do you think the NRSC alarm sounds like? <laughs> like a European fire hydrant, like a smoke detector? It sounds like uh, Ted Cruz motorboating a statue of Margaret Thatcher. Is that allowed? <laughs> Perfect. Keep that. It would be funny if, we cut if, you just came, if you just came up with it. Yeah. We did a yeah. couple and we just kept running the tapes. Uh, the Republican alarm is sound Ben Shapiro makes when he sees a gay kiss in a Marvel movie. It's like this. It's like this. <laughs> the Republican alarm is the sound of Trump cheering when he realizes he can save on taxes by burying Ivana on the golf course. Oh, oh God. That's a dark story. Oof. That was dark. Uh, Republican alarm is the sound Ginny Thomas makes when she's asked under oath if she was involved in the Dobbs leak. Okay. Okay. Yeah. That's yep. it. Those yep. are the ones that's I got. Just, that's a true thing. If you, if you want any more, check out my Substack. <laughs> <laughs> I got one for you. A rusty bower sounds like something you looked up in Urban Dictionary and you <laughs> mm. don't like how gross and complicated it was. How do you know you don't like it until you try it, Tommy? <laughs> how do you know rusty bowers isn't exactly what the doctor ordered? <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. I like that we just have moved on to Rusty Bowers. Just moved on to just, let's yeah. talk about Before that. Before it comes up, please, I don't care. Yeah, please put this anywhere. <laughs> I mean, look, Dr. Oz is, he is unique. He, he's, <laughs> he's an oppo research to have for his dream. He, first of all, don't run for a Senate seat in a state where you are not a resident. That's, a, that's, yeah. a, that's just a rule of thumb. You got to live in the place. How insulting is it to the state of Pennsylvania for two people in that primary who are not from there to run for the Senate seat? Especially oh, when there's, especially, we would, we'd be for a fucking carpetbagger if we like them. Who gives a shit? I mean, listen, look, it was hard for Hillary Clinton. She had to move there first, though. Like, Dr. Oz still lives in New Jersey. It's it's hurting it's, him. He should have he should have moved. It's, it's, not, it's not just that he's from another state. It's that there's so much because he's a celebrity. There is so much footage of him just basking in the glow of being a New Jersey resident yes. and talking about how much Jersey, he loves Jersey, being Jersey. from Jersey. And yeah. all, like it's, it's today. I mean, also, he's a filthy rich and just wildly out of touch with most of it. There's a video the Fetterman team put out today where they have Dr. Oz saying that it's hard to discern the difference in happiness between someone who makes $50,000 and $50 million. <laughs> I don't fucking believe you at all, buddy. I'd love that to learn. So funny. I would love to be as unhappy as someone who makes $50 million. That's just an it's a crazy thing to say. He, honestly, he, make, he, so he, makes, he makes Mitt Romney seem like a working class hero. Oz is so bad. <laughs> Oz is so bad. They're like, why didn't we go with the hedge fund manager from Connecticut? Right. <laughs> right. We should have gone with that private equity guy. Then we'd have a shot. I mean, can't wait till Dr. Oz wins this and then everyone plays I know. this back. Yeah. 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 Hey, but it is hey, snapshot hey. in time. 
fuck you. But, no, but I mean, also his campaign is bad. Oz is running a bad campaign. They went to one of the two like tourist trap cheesesteak joints in Philly, and then he tweeted about it like he was, you know, out of visiting from Russia. Like he looked like a foreign, well, you know, like tourist. And like it's just it gave me flashbacks of like John Kerry eating the cheesesteak with uh, tomato I on was, it. In I was on that campaign at that time. It was not great. Well, once you're, t- it's really this is why I think you know there's the the Federer campaign has been so good about this because once you tag someone as a tourist a lot of what a politician does when they go around taking they look like a tourist mm-hmm. and he's got that fucking rich guy skin you know he goes from new jersey into into the upper east side for all of his treatments you know and he just he looks ridiculous he just looks ridiculous running for senate he made himself look ridiculous and he got like fetterman seat to their great kid they're hitting all the right notes right they were yeah. relentless about you being out of town and, and being out of touch, like here's the here's Dr. Oz kissing his uh, Hollywood Walk of Fame star. But the turn they're making, and you're starting to see it more aggressively, is this guy doesn't give a shit about you, mm-hmm. doesn't care about inflation or anything else. He just wants the job. And you know what? Look, if there's a lesson here for other races, because I agree that I think both Oz and Fetterman are unique candidates. So you can't just replicate their personalities everywhere else. Um, but we spent a lot of time talking about how Republican candidates are a threat to democracy, we, which we should continue to do. We should also probably spend time talking about how Republican candidates are like a threat to working people because they're out of touch uh, and they care about rich people. They're all about to, you know, they're, they're, they're outraged about a bill that's going to make uh, billion dollar corporations pay a dime of taxes. Uh, this is who the Republican Party has always been. We're all, we've always done well when we've run against Republicans like that. And John Fetterman is doing that against Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania. And they're, you know, the other Republican targets are not going to be as uh, rich. No. <laughs> in their, well, like, I mean, both in both ways is Dr. Oz, but they'll, you know, they, their positions are. Fetterman had a stroke and hasn't been able to campaign for right. months and yeah. he's still up 10 points. That is remarkable. That That's a campaign team and staff that is doing incredible work, especially the digital 100%. team and the video team. And the two other things too, I would say is one. Well, Oz's, Oz's, Oz's digital team isn't doing any work. They haven't run digital ads in about two months. <laughs> I don't think it'll help. The, uh, the two other things. One, they're also just, I think, having fun. They're making the campaign something fun and you'd want to be a part of. And we've talked about this Such many times. Point. Nobody wants to be part of a sanctimonious and sour movement. They are, they are, they're making politics seem like something you want to be a part of. And they're making the Fetterman team a team you want to be a part of. And I think that's really exciting. Such and, a good point. And the second point is they have been relentless. And so often, I think one of the one problem Democrats make that Republicans don't, in part because Republicans are served so well by their right-wing propaganda apparatus, is... Democrats too often look at polls as something they need to live by rather than something they can potentially change. The Federing campaign wanted to make Dr. Oz look out of touch by pointing out the way in which he was a carpetbagger, making that connection. And they've been relentless and they've made it important. They made it salient. And like finding ways to just drive something, like to be relentless about it until people connect it with the campaign, the candidate, make it important, I think is another lesson. And they've connected the carpetbagger attack to the yes. out of touch because he's rich attack, right? Which like, because you originally said, if it was just that he was from out of state and he wasn't out of touch, that might not be enough. You know, it's the whole package. Yeah. Um, so Politico also reports that the NRSC is apparently so nervous that they've started making the case that they can win the Senate, even if Oz loses to Fetterman. They're telling donors that their path is to hold Ohio, North Carolina and Wisconsin, flip Nevada and then flip either Arizona or Georgia. Love it. What do you think? Is that a realistic path? Yeah, it is. Of course it is. We could wait. They can, uh, Dr. Oz can go back to his McMansion 
and Republicans can still win the Senate is absolutely possible. It is obviously shameful that someone as unfit as Herschel Walker could get within a mile of the United States Senate. But uh, a lot of people who uh, shouldn't get in a mile of a lot of jobs uh, seem to be uh, st- stumbling into them more and more in politics. So, yes, of course that can happen. Of course it can. Yeah. I, I actually my, my reaction when it was laid out like that was, oh, yeah, Yeesh. no, this could. Yeah, I mean, it's plausible. because Nevada is tough. And Nevada in the last couple elections has started drifting in the wrong direction. And I think that Catherine Cortez Masto has a really tough race on her hands. And then I think that, like you said, Mark Kelly and Raphael Warnock are both running great campaigns and they're great candidates, great senators. But both of those if we remember in 2020, both of those uh, states were decided by a razor's margin. Um, so I think it is very realistic that they could do it without Pennsylvania. In a tough political environment and at a time in which even when we're seeing these these sort of shifts that make us hopeful about the polls, can't really trust them. Yeah. And I would say on the other side of that, you know, they, they sort of assume they'll hold Ohio, North Carolina, and Wisconsin. I don't assume that at all. Um, I think now we have Mandela Barnes in Wisconsin, a very strong candidate, Tim Ryan, a very strong candidate in Ohio, Sherry Beasley, great candidate in North Carolina. So I I don't think they'll necessarily hold those either. All right. So we'll know more about some of the most important midterm races after today's primaries in Arizona, Missouri, Michigan, Kansas and Washington state. Uh, Tommy, what results will you be most interested in? I am very interested in Arizona. Rather, I'm very worried about Arizona. Okay, tell Um, us why. Because you have really, you know, election deniers and truly fringe candidates sort of up and down the ballot. You got Carrie Lake, the the Trump appointed uh, election denier running for governor. Hopefully she will lose that primary, but we don't know. Blake Masters, who is basically, um, you know, Peter Thiel's ghostwriter is running for the Senate seat. He's likely to win that uh, that primary. And then you have a guy named Mark Fincham, who's probably going to be the Republican nominee for the Arizona secretary of state race who is an election denier and very, very bad. Um, so a lot of disconcerting themes there for democracy generally or for the uh, ability to run a fair race in 2024. Mark Fincham, member of the Oath Keepers. Yep, terrorist fringe <laughs> group. Yep, bad. Aha, uh-huh. like what? I I didn't know that until I was actually reading about this today. I read that today too. That, that Un- caught me by surprise. Unbelievable. And then what will become of, of course, what will become of Rusty Bowers? The uh, the Speaker of the Arizona House who has Rusty primary B. challenge. Who told the truth Rusty at the B. January 6th committee. Has, did he flip-flop now? He said he would still vote for Trump. Now he's no, no, he, he now, said, he had, he's had, all over the place. He had some answer that was sort of left it open. He didn't say, and he's then a, he's a he monster. He's a, yeah, he closed the door. Yeah, he closed, he closed the, the door. door. So that, uh, Missouri, of course. Does Eric Greitens win? Uh, does Trump endorse him? Could be happening right now while we're recording. I know yeah. that uh, Trump was saying he's going to endorse in that race. Genuinely bad person. Love it. Any races you're looking at? Uh, the look, I emotionally, I just struggle to pay attention to which right wing fascist goon is is eking out these primaries. Mm. I am watching the Kansas referendum on abortion. Yeah, obviously, it's important practically because Kansas is a, uh, a a respite and a place people can come from surrounding states. It's really, really important. But also, uh, we will learn a lot about the power of arguing for. Um, reproductive freedom and access to abortion uh, at the ballot box by whatever this margin is in Kansas. We'll just learn a lot from it. And on its own, yeah, without any candidate attached. I think it's tough too that if you're at the ballot, the language and that that amendment, it's It's really very confusing. It's it's heavily tilted toward uh, the right. Republicans are lying about it. It's very confusing. So this is a tough... It's, it, a, it's, a, it's obviously it's Kansas, by the way, an extremely yes. Republican state. There is a Democratic governor there, but of course, a very a very Republican state. It, so. it, it's very tough, and it's it's a it's it's chaotic, it's confused. But whatever the margin is, I think we'll learn something about where people are at on this, and then you know just have to hope 
They've spent almost $100 million in Arizona already. $100 million. Yeah, of course, crazy. for truly some of the fringiest candidates <laughs> in the country. I feel but like Arizona, you're rooting for Rusty Bowers. Arizona and Pennsylvania are, have, are, are in com- competition for uh, swing states with the fringiest right-wing candidates yeah. there. Uh, and then there's Michigan, the, missioners, the Michigan governor's race for the, uh, the primary there. Uh, there's Trump-endorsed right-wing media pundit election denier Tudor Dixon, Tudor Dixon. is the name, yeah. uh, who also has the support of the DeVos family. So between Trump and the DeVos family in a crowded field of nine candidates, uh, we'll see. We'll see if she can pull it off. Um, all right. So that's uh, we'll talk about more of those results on Thursday. Also, speaking of the midterms, thank you to the thousands of you who signed up during our 100 days out week of action. We have now had as many volunteer signups so far this year as we had in all of 2018. Clap it up. That's amazing. Great job. You guys are amazing, uh, which means that we have the next 99 days to build on those numbers. And unlike 2018, we now have our Vote Save America virtual volunteer community that can help support our volunteers go above and beyond. So go to votesaveamerica.com slash volunteer. You can learn more. You can sign up. Join Team West. Uh, Team East. Midwest. Okay. Mm-hmm. Good job, everyone. Good job. Pushing Midwest. your regions. But you can, you can fight for Fetterman. We can uh, uh, help in New Hampshire. I got, I got Arizona. You just heard the problems there. I got Wisconsin. Mm, okay. Well, Fetterman. Sign up. We'll give you plenty of work to do. Plenty of work to do. We got to stop Doug Mastriano. Not just tweeting, you know. Sign up. Yeah, a lot of you haven't yet. Yeah, we Shame it, on you. Love it. You were not at the Portland show, but we did it. You would have yelled at so many people. Mm-hmm. We did a game, an audience Ugh. game, and we said, only raise your hand if you signed up for Vote Save America. And then a bunch of people raised their hands and we were like, you, what region are you? And they're like, well, I'm signing up tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> signing up tomorrow, are you? all right when we come back love it talks to wisconsin senator tammy baldwin about protecting same-sex marriage and democracy at consumer cellular you get the same exact coverage as the largest carriers but for up to half the cost same thing up to half the cost up to half the cost for the same thing 50 percent the money for 100 percent the same thing i hope i'm making myself clear Consumer Cellular. When freedom calls, we're here to answer. Call us at 1-888-FREEDOM. Half the cost savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular single-line 5-gigabyte data plan with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single-line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plan offered by T-Mobile and Verizon May 2023. Joining us now, she is a senator from Wisconsin and the first openly gay person elected to the United States Senate, currently working to pass the Respect for Marriage Act. Senator Tammy Baldwin, welcome to the pod. I am so glad to join you. So let's talk about the Respect for Marriage Act. Where does the bill stand right now? You need 10 Republicans on board. How many have agreed to support it? What's next? We need 10 Republicans to avoid a filibuster. And probably we need a couple more than that to avoid the situation where every senator can be identified as the deciding vote. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it would be great to have 11 or 12. Right now, we have five who have publicly stated that they will vote for the Respect for Marriage Act. And we have several others who are in that category of having uh, publicly proclaimed that they support marriage equality, but are only privately sharing with me and others where they're leaning or where they are on the Respect for Marriage Act. And... You know, when that's the case and they haven't said it out loud, you have to be a little cautious. So uh, I feel like we're we're at 10, but we're not a lot. uh, We don't have a lot more than that. And so 
big question is, uh, do we need to firm that up a little bit more? Um, and uh, instead of uh, debating it this week, uh, maybe kick it till after the August recess, or uh, can we can we fit it in the end of the week because we have the votes firmed up? So uh, there's been some talk, I believe uh, uh, Senator Susan Collins uh, mentioned this, that the compromise between Joe Manchin and Chuck Schumer might make it harder to pass a bill protecting marriage equality. Why would increasing rebates for electric cars make Republicans more anti-gay? And isn't the whole point of being a Republican that they're gay for corporations? <laughs> so the, uh, the issues should have nothing to do with each other. Uh, and we should be adult enough in the United States Senate to be able to separate votes of conscience from uh, votes about the economy and votes about uh, other matters. Uh, but I have heard uh, repeated more than once since the reconciliation agreement was reached uh, that this has poisoned the well, if you will. You know, I, I just don't buy it. I believe that if you were going to support the Respect for Marriage Act uh, last week, you should be in support of the Respect for Marriage Act this week. So uh, one thing that's been surprising is some of the yeses. And also when compared to some of the no's, I was surprised to see your your colleague Ron Johnson say he was for it because technically speaking, I consider him one of the Senate's biggest dipshits. But so then you have someone, you don't have to acknowledge that. And then we saw Marco Rubio claim this thing was a waste of time, even though voting yes and no take the same amount of time. Do you think he was uh, uh, frustrated when the elevator door closed after he said that to find himself trapped in there with the Senate's only lesbian? <laughs> so to be absolutely accurate, he said it was a stupid waste of time. That's right. And yep. then turned to his right and saw me standing there looking at him <laughs> as the elevators door, elevator doors closed. And we did, you know, I, I told him very frankly why I believe it's important to act and why it's important to give people in interracial marriages and same-sex uh, uh, unions the uh, certainty that every other couple enjoys, every other married couple enjoys, um, because of how significant the legal rights and responsibilities conferred with marriage really are to protecting one's family. Uh, he uh, pushed back and, you know, as these are not the first conversations I've had on this issue and said, you know, the court is not poised to overturn Obergefell. I don't believe they will. Uh, but there is uh, a lot of reason why we should be giving folks certainty and frankly, for those Republicans who have been applauding the uh, overturning of Roe versus Wade and have been seeing how uh, anxious uh, their constituents are about perception, about uh, losing access to, or to the rights and responsibilities of marriage, um, you know, this would be a great uh, way of assuring your constituents um, th that you are still for some freedoms. <laughs> well, what I don't understand about that is 
Okay. Clarence Thomas, who everyone now is recognizing as someone who is kind of on the vanguard of where these uh, right-wing extreme judges eventually go, is saying he wants to turn to these issues next. Rubio just says privately, oh, don't worry, this isn't going to happen. What is the cost of passing this bill to him? I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a dodge. What's the cost? What, what's the harm? Well, one of the things I've observed during all of these uh, discussions I've had with Republicans who uh, I think should be supportive because they have said at one time or other marriage equality is, I don't think that I have a colleague of either party who doesn't now know someone who is married. Maybe it's the uh, neighbor, maybe it's a relative, maybe it is uh, an old friend from college, Maybe it's uh, somebody they go to church or synagogue with, but this is uh, now accepted and commonplace among uh, American voters. Uh, And so they should have every reason uh, to show that they're not on the fringe. Uh, And, you know, if if people in same-sex marriages are concerned about the certainty of their marriage, It's not only because of what Clarence Thomas wrote in his concurrence, it's because the majority of the Supreme Court said there is not a constitutional right to privacy. And there are numerous cases that have been decided on the constitutional right to privacy. Contraception, um, Lawrence, uh, Obergefell. uh, And so we need to shore these up, we need to tell Uh, people across this country uh, that they do not need to live in fear. So the, the, the house has passed uh, a few, a few bills on some of those issues. Uh, There's been a lot of hope on part of, uh, uh, of people watching this saying, let's get these Republicans in the Senate on the record on a bunch of these issues where they've kind of taken an extreme position on contraception, on access to abortion, on the right to travel, which which uh, uh, there was a vote on, uh, on a host of other issues. Uh, is the lesson so far on this process, uh, uh, on the Respect for Marriage Act, that like we should be taking more of these votes? We need to get these centers on the record. You know, for me, uh, this effort to get 10 or more Republican vote yes is about getting the job done. And um, there are many issues on which I love to uh, be able to ha- uh, bring a vote forward and show whose side people are on. You know, are you on the side mm-hmm. of tens of millions of women who have just lost uh, 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 fundamental freedoms and have fewer rights than their uh, mothers and grandmothers? But on this one, I've told all the Republicans that I'm uh, working with and talking to, I just want to pass this and get rid of the, and, you know, the fear and uncertainty. Uh, and I have no, uh, I'm not playing any games. Uh, I certainly think that there um, are some of the opponents who are playing games, but uh, I want to get this done. I'm very serious about it. So I was thinking about Marco Rubio dodging this in an elevator in part because I think his current position is unpopular. His current position is that Obergefell was wrongly decided, that that we should be appointing Supreme Court justices that would overturn it. It's remarkable how quickly this has changed. You were uh, the first openly lesbian member of the Wisconsin Assembly. Uh, People might not know this, that you proposed legalizing same-sex marriage in 1994. 
which was a radical thing to do at the time. This is at a time in which you are uh, uh, pushing back against don't ask, don't tell, even having gay people being allowed to openly serve in the military. How does it feel to have been in elective office during this immense period of, of change on this issue? Uh, boy, it feels uh, it, it feels great to have seen the slow march of progress on this. I had this feeling back in the mid '90s when I was in the state legislature working on this, and frankly, I was doing this in parallel track with back then domestic partnership uh, proposals, the civil unions. I, you know, I just wanted ways for gay and lesbian couples to be able to protect their families. And, you know, I think too often when we say the word marriage, we think of the marriage ceremony, but we don't think about access to a loved one's bedside if they're gravely ill or injured. And we don't think about um, many of the rights and responsibilities that flow with that marriage certificate and subsequent marriage. Uh, so I wanted tools for people to be able to uh, protect their families and I believed, uh, maybe naively, that I would see that in my lifetime. Uh, now, would it happen through the legislative action, happen through the courts, a combination of both, which was actually sort of the, the slow march to this point? Um, it was sort of all of the above. And we took a lot of steps backwards before we took steps forward. By that, I mean many states uh, had constitutional amendments, like my home state of Wisconsin. Uh, that banned same-sex marriage um, and defined marriage only as a union between a man and a woman. Uh, if Obergefell were struck, we would have the federal law of the land would be the Defense of Marriage Act. Mm -hmm. And the state law of the land in my home state of Wisconsin would be a constitutional amendment that excluded same-sex couples. And it would be uh, it would be chaos, kind of like it has been. Uh, with Roe versus Wade being overturned and people not, you know, people needing to leave their states to access fundamental freedoms and control their own bodies, in this case, uh, be able to protect their own families. And we cannot let that happen. And this is the Respect for Marriage Act is the way we prevent that. So you just described a lot of these progressive fights that you've been a part of for the better part of three decades. You just endorsed Wisconsin's Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes in his campaign to be a senator. You're a progressive senator. It is a competitive state. He has a tough race. You're familiar with those. What is your advice for Mandela Barnes heading into the fall? Well, um, I am so excited that even before the primary has happened, that he's our presumptive nominee and can uh, focus now on defeating Ron Johnson. Um, for those of your uh, podcast enthusiasts who don't know, um, the leading uh, four of the leading four candidates, three have suspended their campaigns and endorsed um, Mandela Barnes. And for those who want to know more and want to do more, um, they can come to Wisconsin and knock doors and sign up at MandelaBarnes.com or even WisDems.org. Uh, but we have a tough campaign ahead of us, despite the fact that uh, Senator Ron Johnson is viewed as the most vulnerable incumbent of either party in uh, the U.S. Senate. Uh, he's sort of been in that place before six years ago and squeaked through his uh, 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 squeaked out a, an election victory. 
So we need to uh, be ready. We need to respond to uh, all the attacks that will inevitably come uh, towards Democrats and towards uh, our nominee in particular, but strike back because, you know, whether it's uh, Ron Johnson being uh, asking Mike Pence if he can deliver an envelope full of fake electors from uh, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania or uh, you know, claiming all sorts of uh, snake oil can solve uh, the COVID problem or uh, denying that Russia interfered with our 2016 elections or touting the big lie. And I'm just getting started here. Uh, we've got to, we, we've got to win. And um, very excited that we can get a little head start on the general yeah. election. Hard to come up with a better upgrade in 2022 than Ron Johnson to Mandela Barnes. It is hard to do better uh, in terms of improving the representation that a state would have. Uh, So one reason uh, Ron Johnson has been able to hold his uh, Senate seat is in part because Republicans have done a lot to uh, make it harder for people to vote and have done a lot to uh, um, uh, try to hold on to power and a lot of people see the anti-democratic moves Republicans have used in Wisconsin at, you know, on, on gerrymandering, other, other uh, uh, power plays as a harbinger about what we're seeing now nationally. What have you learned in fighting to not just win elections, but defend democracy itself in Wisconsin that we should be thinking about uh, as these fights play out in other states and, uh, and nationally? So first, uh, as we come up to the midterms, it's not just an open U.S. Senate seat, but our uh, governor, our uh, lieutenant governor, our attorney general, our secretary, or our treasurer, state treasurer, all of those statewide races are in play. Uh, and uh, we need a governor with a veto pen uh, because it's our overwhelmingly Republican legislature that has been trying to pass legislation in order to Uh, make it more and more difficult for people to vote. Um, Next year, we'll have a Supreme Court election, which will be critical in terms of what sort of uh, rulings the state Supreme Court uh, hands down on uh, access to the ballot box and uh, the freedom uh, to vote in our state. Uh, But I also think that one of the best organizing um, tactics is to tell people uh, the various ways in which people, uh, Republicans are trying to make it harder for you to vote and make people make people realize it's them that they want to stay home. And, you know, gosh darn it, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna go to the polls and nothing's gonna keep me. Not pouring rain, not snow, uh, not COVID. Uh, as you've seen Wisconsinites do time and time again. Uh, but it's going to be especially essential this time. We also have to sort of think about um, what alternative, what the alternative could look like, making it much easier for uh, people to uh, vote absentee or vote early, uh, to be able to plan their vote and not have to worry about childcare. And all of these things, plus a, a host of other campaign finance reforms, would really bolster our democracy. And it is on the line. It is on the line. So last question, Uh, the Beer Institute 
named you the 2022 beer champion. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, I don't know if it's some sort of I, I tour you go on. I have a trophy that's in the shape of a tapper. Uh, cool. Unfortunately, it's it's just a trophy. And so when I move the tapper, nothing comes out. But But I'm very, very proud. So I have this feeling, I, I have this worry that you are one of those people that likes IPAs. Is that right? This worry? IPAs are great. I knew it. This is a, this is a gay lesbian thing. I knew you were going to like IPAs. It's, it's a bitter swill, and everybody knows that, and more and more people are talking about it, and more and more people <laughs> are saying it. And so you're going you're to come on this show, and you're going to say IPAs are drinkable. That's something you're going to, that's you're going to, delicious. Okay. 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 That's just something you're going to, that's something you're going to put out in the world with everything else that we're dealing with. Yeah. And we don't have to get into the history of IPA and why it tastes like it does, but. um, Yeah. There was a, there was a person who said, Hey, everybody having fun here. I have a different idea. I have a, you you like, do you like something um, that goes down smooth or you want something that tastes like uh, uh, a burnt tire was dropped into a Bud Light? That's how I feel about it. Well, those are fighting words. I can't wait. <laughs> uh, Senator Tammy Baldwin, thank you so much for being here. Uh, and um, look, uh, you know, everybody has different tastes. By the I way, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of microbreweries in Wisconsin. And there's a lot of beers that you can't get here. You can only get in Wisconsin. But I will be bringing you a spotted cow, which is not okay. an IPA, but the same brewer uh, also makes something called Moon Man, which is an IPA, and we can celebrate microbrews in Wisconsin, and we'll figure I would love it that. out. We'll figure it out. Listen, we'll get to the bottom of it, all right? We'll agree <laughs> to disagree. Thank you so much, Senator. Thank you. Thank you to Tammy Baldwin for joining us today, and uh, we'll talk to you Thursday. Pod Save America is a Crooked Media production. The executive producer is Michael Martinez. Our senior producer is Andy Gardner-Bernstein. Our producer is Haley Muse, and Olivia Martinez is our associate producer. It's mixed and edited by Andrew Chadwick. Kyle Seglin and Charlotte Landis sound engineer the show. Thanks to Tanya Sominator, Sandy Gerard, Hallie Kiefer, Ari Schwartz, Andy Taft, and Justine Howe for production support. And to our digital team, Elijah Cohn, Phoebe Bradford, Milo Kim, and Amelia Montu. Our episodes are uploaded as videos at youtube.com slash crookedmedia.